0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll notice in your bulletin that the text for our sermon this morning is actually different from our text in the gospel. And for that reason, I would ask that you please rise, as is the custom of the church, for the gospel lesson that is recorded in St. Luke, chapter 9, beginning with the 51st verse. When the days were approaching for him to be taken up, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. They went and entered a Samaritan village to make preparations for him. But the people did not welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. You don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. Then they went to another village. As they went on the way, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those at my home. Jesus told him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever set your mind on something? Something you really wanted to accomplish? This may seem like kind of a silly question at first, because of course you accomplish things. We all do every day. Even this morning, you woke up, you got ready, maybe had a little breakfast, had a little coffee, and you came to church. You accomplished that. That's an accomplishment. But that's not the type of accomplishment I'm talking about here. I'm talking about something more important, something more meaningful in life, something we want to strive to do or something we maybe have never done before, something that we haven't been doing very well and we want to do better at. One major essential part of achieving things we want to accomplish, or goals for that matter, is determination determination is what does does not determination is what we what gives us the ability to accomplish those goals determination is what will not allow anything to come in the way of us accomplishing that the determination we are we see in our text this morning that Jesus possesses is one that's hard for us to understand it's a determination us mere mortals can't possess. Only the Son of God, someone who is God and man, can, produce, can, can actually have the determination that Jesus possesses. So as they go on their way, we see in our text this morning, and we're reminded of the days in Jesus' ministry, the early parts of his ministry, when he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to a Samaritan village, and he's not met with open arms. In fact, he's not welcome at all. Now, the Samaritans were a group of people, a sect of the Jewish community, who had broken off, broken away, and gone to find a place to worship of their own. No longer in Jerusalem, no longer in the temple, and they didn't get along with the Jews. In fact, they didn't associate with themselves with the Jews at all. And there was a lot of animosity, animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they knew Jesus was a Jew and they knew who he proclaimed to be and they did not want him to come there. Now James and John see this and it angers them. They feel rejected. They know that God is rejected, their Lord, the Lord that they so faithfully serve and love. And they also know that Jesus is capable of taking them completely out. He could call down fire from heaven, and he could consume them. And in fact, that is probably what they deserve. They rejected the very Son of Man. But what does Jesus do? Instead of doing his, giving his might and glory and all his ability as God, instead, what does he say to James and John? He says, You do not know what spirit is influencing you. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy souls, but to save them. He's reminding James and John of his purpose, the sole purpose for him coming to earth for us, for our lost condition, the sinful nature of man that we were born with from birth, that we can't escape, that always will be with us on this earth, And he came to save us. So, they go on their way because they go to another village. Jesus doesn't act with revenge. He acts in love. We face opposition in our life as well today, in this world. Christians every day feel opposition, whether that may be in war, whether that may be in hunger, whether that may be in devastations that happen in the world, hurricanes, tornadoes, death, sorrow, pain, rejection. We face opposition in the world every day. So as they go on, Jesus shows us a little bit more of this opposition. A man says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And he seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He seems to have made a good decision. He's confident in it. He says it resolutely. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And what does Jesus say to him? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why would Jesus say something like this? Why would he want to give him that warning of the hardships and the tough road ahead? Well, he's telling him, for one, that Jesus isn't from here. He's telling him that his place is not of this world, And he's opposed and rejected daily. And he's also warning them a little bit about have you given this some thought? You know, have you really thought about this a little bit? Are you just doing it because on a whim? He's warning them that this will be a tough road as a Christian, as a loyal follower of Jesus, that you will feel opposition and rejection. And it will be unsafe and it will be dangerous. Now as they go on, another man is approached and Jesus says to him, Follow me. And the man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me bury my father. This seems like a request that we can relate to. Death is a very real thing in this world and we lose people all the time. People close to us, people maybe not close to us. But this man says his father had died. And he wanted to bury him. He wanted to give him a proper burial. And Jesus responds to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What does he mean by this? Doesn't that seem a little harsh of Jesus to say? And after all, what does that mean? How can someone who is already dead bury someone who is dead? What Jesus more than likely was trying to talk say is he was talking of the spiritual nature of those people. The people, people's hearts had already rejected Jesus and God and that message. Their hearts and souls were already dead. And those people can worry about the dead. But you, you who are alive in spirit, who have faith, have a much bigger purpose. You are to proclaim the kingdom of God. The next thing is the encounter with the man who says, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to those of my home. Another request that we can relate to, but Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Another teaching lesson that Jesus is giving us with a picture of what it's like to follow him. Both of these last two lessons, have been conditions but first first what is that saying first let me do this first Lord and then I will follow you we so often in our lives today put ourselves first too we make excuses for not doing what God would have us do and want us to do and instead we make ourselves or the things of this world the possessions that can fall that will fall away and and perish. We put those first. We break the first commandment. We make other things our God instead of making God our sole purpose and focus. So what does this mean? doesn't bode well, does it? It doesn't seem seem good for us, does it? But in fact, along this whole way and all these lessons that Jesus is saying, he's showing us and the people in this text, in our, in our word this morning, that he is the one who is doing all of this. That, we can't, that we, cannot do, we, can't, we can't. We can't be opposed by the world and the people around us and act in love and mercy like he did, going on to the next village, not seeking revenge, not being hateful, not wanting to destroy them. He went through not being from this world, being forsaken, being alone, not having a place to lay his head at night. Jesus did that. Jesus also went through this life on earth and he didn't make conditions. He never made excuses. He never said, but first, Father, let me do this for me. Let me do this first. Throughout his entire life, Jesus did everything with you in mind with me in mind, and with the entire world. He never put himself before you, and he never will again, or never will in in our lives today. So I ask again, what do you want to accomplish? What are things you want to do? Goals you want to set? Well, all Christians should have the same goal in mind, and that's to be in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it kind of ironic that the most important thing we want to do and achieve and have something we have no part in, that we have no ability to get for ourselves and we can't do it at all, is the sole work of the Holy Spirit, of our Father in Heaven, who gives us that. So why? Why was he determined to go to Jerusalem? Jesus knew what awaited him there, and what his final fate would be. He knew that not only would it be hard in his life, but his death would also be hard as well. He would go to Jerusalem and ultimately be accused, convicted, and hung up on the cross for you and for me. A man who had no sin, a man who did nothing wrong, would be put to death, Why? Well, it was His purpose. We see it right there in our text this morning. He reminded James and John of it. And He reminds us daily too when we need it, when we forget. His purpose was to save souls. Save souls, not to destroy them. That was the true purpose. That was the reason He came to earth. This purpose would require a very hard and great cost, a great payment. One not bought with gold or silver but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This payment of the wrath of God, the, perf- the, the law of God that requires perfection to pay for the sins of all the people and forgive the world for all the wickedness they have done, it will require the blood of a perfect lamb, the lamb Jesus Christ. And he would go to Jerusalem and he would carry the cross, the cross that bears and is a symbol of all of your sins and my sins. And he would bear that and put that on his back and carry it to Calvary. And he would ultimately be nailed to it and his side would be pierced. And he would finally, in his last moments, cry out, It is finished. The people at those times didn't understand what he was saying. They thought he was crying out to Elijah. They didn't even understand the language. They also didn't know what he meant. What does he mean by it's finished? Maybe it just means he's going to die. He's going to die soon. That's not what he was saying. He was saying his purpose was finished. The whole reason he came to earth was now done. In his final breaths, He was the victor over death. Death has no power over you anymore. He won that for you. But how can we be assured of this? We still sin and there's still sin in this world today. How can we be assured of this? That we have this salvation, this victory that was won for us on the cross. How do we know that it's ours? Because in our sinful nature we still doubt that. We still doubt that it was for us. How could we? How could it be for us? If He if He knows what we've done, He would never we would never have salvation. But that isn't true. No, He came for that very reason. And in His life He also instituted two wonderful gifts for us. Three, sorry, wonderful gifts for us. The means of grace, the sacraments, Word, Lord's Supper, Baptism. In His his Word, He strengthens us us in our faith. He not only gives it to us in His Word, but He also strengthens us. And in the same way, He also gave baptism, where in it, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven, and with the water and the Word that that the pastor put on your head, you became a child of God that day. A mark was put on your chest, on your head, as a child of God as a follower of Jesus. And he also gave us his Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, where in it we receive the very true body and blood that was sacrificed for us on that tree. The very true body and blood that we now eat touches our lips and we consume. It strengthens us. And it gives us forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful gift these things are for us. He is not only the one that won salvation. He gives us the means to that salvation. He is the most gracious and loving God that there ever will be and ever was and ever is. So even in our hardships throughout life today, He's still with us. The world is still sinful, still hard, We still have to deal with things like death and sorrow and pain. But now Jesus is here with you. The very arms that were outstretched for you on that cross are now the very same arms that now hold you and embrace you through this walk of life. Through every sorrow and hardship you go through, He is there with you. So go now. Go with the joy of this great news that He won for you And he gives you that no matter what you go through, he will be with you and you have the assurance of forgiveness and life after death in heaven with our Father in glory and majesty. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Please rise for the blessing. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.